Welcome to the Food for Your Soul podcast, where we apply the Word of God to the hearts of men and women to stoke the fires of your delight in Christ. Here's your host, Dr. D. Richard Ferguson. All of God's laws are perfectly written, right? So if you follow the letter of God's law, is it possible to still violate the spirit of that law? And how does that relate to the issue of dishonesty and integrity? So let's start with the question about oaths. Why oaths? Why does he say, above all, do not swear? The thing you need to understand about the word swear here, this isn't talking about obscenity, you know, filthy language. It's not that kind of swearing. The use of obscenity and dirty words, that is forbidden for the Christian, definitely, Ephesians 5.4, nor should there be obscenity. Foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. So coarse language, dirty words, has no place in the vocabulary of the Christian mouth. We are not to speak that way. But this word translated swear isn't talking about that. This word is talking about swearing an oath. It's making a promise. It's like if you say, I swear to God, or I swear on my mother's grave, or I swear on a stack of Bibles, or, I, or even just, I swear, or even just, I promise. Okay, Anything like that. That's what this word is referring to. When James says, don't swear at all, that's a problem. That's a difficulty because because God himself swears oaths. Right? In Scripture, he swore to Abraham. It's mentioned many, many times in Scripture. He swore an oath to Abraham. In in Hebrews, it says the same thing. Uh, The great angel in Revelation 10.6 swore an oath. Paul swore oaths under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 1.20, he says, I assure you before God that what I'm writing to you is no lie. Romans 1.9, God is my witness. Philippians 1.8, God can testify how I long for all of you. Even Jesus testified under oath in Matthew 26. So, so what, what is James talking about when he says, do not swear at all? Well, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. And we'll see where this comes from. Jesus is, uh, James is quoting Jesus. Throughout the whole book of James, he has been assuming, James has been assuming that the readers have a very uh, thorough familiarity with the Sermon on the Mount, with all of Jesus' teaching, especially the Sermon on the Mount. And he's referred to the Sermon on the Mount many times, never more obviously than here. I mean, this is the most direct reference to the Sermon on the Mount in the whole book of James. Um, and you'll see that if I just read it, Matthew five thirty-three. He says, again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths that you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, even by, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair black or white. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no, no, anything beyond that comes from the evil one. So it's obvious that that's what James is referring to, right? He's quoting that. It's just an abbreviated, summarized way. Uh, Above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or any other oath. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, or you'll be condemned. So so it's it's very clear that James is referring to the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, He wants to call our attention to what Jesus taught about oaths, but what was that? What was Jesus' point in the Sermon on the Mount? In that section of the Sermon on the Mount, here's what's going on. Um, Jesus is going through, he's correcting several wrong understandings of Old Testament doctrines. Things that the Jews got wrong and then he's fixing it, he's correcting it. So he'd, he'd start by, each time he'd start by saying, you have heard it was said to the people long ago, this, and then he would say their wrong idea. He said, but I say it to you, and then he would say the right thing, the, the correct understanding. 
And in this case, when he refers to their wrong teaching, uh, it's funny because it doesn't really sound all that wrong. Look at verse 33. He says, you've heard it said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you've made to the Lord. What's wrong with that? Don't break your oath, but keep your oath. Uh, Isn't that exactly what the Old Testament says? Numbers 30, verse 2. When a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath, he must not break his word, but must do everything he said. Sounds exactly the same as what they were saying. Don't break your oaths when you make an oath to God. So what's wrong with their interpretation here? Answer? There's nothing wrong with their interpretation. Their interpretation is right on the money. The problem isn't their interpretation. The problem is their application. The way they applied it to life. See, here's what they did. They had the right interpretation. If you make an oath to God, don't break it. Therefore, if you make an oath but it's not really to God, you're home free. You don't have to keep it. And and what they did was um, they came up with this uh, the thing about the Jews that you have to understand is a lot of times they would use substitutes for the name of God because they, out of respect for God, they didn't want to say the, na- the word God or the name of God. And so they'd use substitutes. So instead of saying, like, I swear to God, they would say, I swear by heaven. And it meant the same thing. So what happened was they came up with this really elaborate system of which substitutes actually count as substitutes for God and which ones don't count. So... Uh, and they wrote extensively about this. There are two entire books of the Mishnah devoted to describing which ones count and which ones don't. A whole book on vows and a whole book on oaths. And so, so Jesus gives us a sample of that in Matthew 23, verse 16. He says, you say that if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold in the temple, then he's bound by his oath. That's a dumb one. I mean, the temple is greater. Anyway, then in verse 18, and you would say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing, but if anyone swears by the gift on the altar, then he's bound by his oath. That's the, that was the kind of system they had. Now, why do you suppose they did that? Why do you suppose, what's the point of having vow formulas that aren't even binding? What, why, why would that even exist? Well, the, the reason they did that, same reason children do it today. In the world of kids, if you make a promise, but you have your fingers crossed, it's not binding. Not binding. In fact, even other kids will honor that. They're just like, you promised. I had my fingers crossed. Ah. And, and they, you know, and, and, and we do the exact same thing as adults, except um, instead of uh, promises and finger crossing, we have contracts, right? A system of contracts. And if somebody, in our culture, somebody can come to you and they can commit to you, they'll say, I will do it. And they can, they can shake your hand and shake on it and write out a contract and sign it and give it to you. But if he, even if he does all that, but hidden somewhere in that contract in the fine print of the legalese is some wording that lets him off the hook, then in our culture, he's not bound. He's not bound to do what he promised. There are actually lawyers whose whole job is to write deception into contracts like that. That makes it sound like something is being promised that's not. And some of us have been burned by those, haven't we? We signed something, we thought, I thought you said, nope, see, right here, you know. So for us, it's contracts. For, for them, it was various vow formulas. For children, it's crossing your fingers. But in each case, the purpose is the same, to create a, a way to deceive people into th- believing that what you say is true when it's not true. 
So that was the purpose of their system of vows, deception. It was essentially a system of legalized dishonesty. That's what it was, legalized dishonesty. Their interpretation of the Old Testament was right on the money. If you swear by God, you got to keep that vow. That's true. But their application was the exact opposite of the intent of the law. The intent of the law is honesty. Their application was dishonesty. If you're clever, then you can lie without being guilty. You know, there's a whole lot of heresy in the church uh, that comes from perfectly accurate interpretations of Scripture wrongly applied. The, the, The interpretation is right on the money. But it's applied in a heretical way. That's what the Pharisees were doing. And, and, and that gives us some insight into the legalism of the Pharisees, by the way. You know, you hear a lot about Phariseeism. People's always accusing others of being Pharisees. And what we need to understand about the Pharisees is the purpose of all their rules was to accommodate their sin. That was the purpose. And I want to say that because a lot of times people associate Phariseeism with strictness. And they say, well, if you're really strict, you're a Pharisee. You know, you're being really, really strict about obeying God's word. You're a Pharisee. Don't be such a Pharisee. Give some, you know, cut some slack. That is, that is as wrong as it can be. Of course we need to be strict about obeying God's, God's word. The problem with the Pharisees wasn't that they were too strict in obeying God's law. The problem with the Pharisees is that they were too loose about obeying the weightier matters of the law of God. Like, justice and mercy and faithfulness and taking care of their elderly parents and honesty. Phariseeism isn't being strict about obeying God. Pharisee is all about using human reasoning or tradition to, to as an excuse to set aside the spirit of God's law. Mark 7, 9, Jesus said it. You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. That's Phariseeism. And that's exactly what they were doing with their system of oaths. And uh, that's what James is forbidding. That's what Jesus was forbidding. And that's what James is talking about here. This is why it's not a contradiction when James says, all right, stop, no oaths, no oaths. And and, and yet God swears oaths and Paul swears oaths and all that. There are some solemn, important occasions where an oath is appropriate. It's fine on your wedding day to make a formal vow. That's, that's appropriate. That's fitting. That's good. There's nothing wrong with being in a courtroom and putting your hand on a Bible and swearing to tell the whole truth. That's okay. That's, there are certain very solemn, very rare, formal occasions when it's a good thing to, to vow, to, to call special attention to the truthfulness of what you're saying. Even though your yes always means yes, it, there's some occasions when it's good to call attention to that, to, be, to either remind yourself or to remind everyone else. You, you, you should always keep your word, but on your wedding day... It's appropriate that, that you be reminded how solemn your word really is. And so we make it a vow. Same goes for testifying in court where somebody's life might be at stake at your, with your testimony. God made oaths in Scripture, not because his word was unreliable if he's not swearing, uh, but, but to help us understand the gravity and importance of certain promises that he made to help us believe. So there's, there's a legitimate place for oaths in formal settings, but not in informal, everyday, regular conversation. 
Because if you're the type of person who has to constantly swear oaths to get people to believe you, it probably means you're a dishonest person. If you're up to, every time you talk, you have to say, well, I swear to God, no, I'm promise, I'm serious, serious, man. Believe me, I mean, I'm telling you the truth. If you have to always say that, you're probably a liar. <laughs> the more someone has to assure you that he's telling the truth, the more of a liar he probably is. When, when, when everyone knows your word is just as good as gold, uh, you don't have to make oaths to get people to believe you. So in everyday speech, vowing, promising, is for liars. Swearing and promising, that's for liars. That's what liars have to do to get people to, be, to, to believe them. When, you, when you're a kid and you're sitting there, it's like, man, I promise, I promise. You pinky promise? Yeah, pinky promise. I mean, I cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. I'm telling you the truth. I, you know, why did we have to go to so much effort to, to persuade the other person that we're telling the truth? Well, because they weren't used to it. <laughs> They weren't used to us telling the truth and we had to give them some sort of a signal. This is different than the norm. I'm really actually telling you the truth now. If you tell your kids you're going to do something and your kids say, do you promise? That might be an indication that your word hasn't been very reliable in the past. Sometimes we excuse dishonesty if it's just to kids. They're just kids. So when Jesus gave his teaching about swearing in the Sermon on the Mount, the point wasn't to abolish all oaths, all formal oaths, all that. The point was to call them out of that system of legalized dishonesty, uh, using extra verbiage to, uh, you know, beyond simple yes or no, that's designed to enable you to deceive the person without technically being guilty of uttering a lie. If you intentionally deceive a person... That's a lie. Regardless of what actual words came out of your mouth, if you deceive them, you're lying. And a lot of times our, our biggest lies are technically accurate, but there's just such a flurry of words, you know. Were you there? Oh, well, yeah, I, I mean, it just, well, it just depends on how you define where. I mean, there. If, you, what, what, if your definition is, well, I, would, I wouldn't, I don't know if I was there, like, per se, but I just, but the, but, come on. Were you there? Yes, I was there. Do you have any areas of dishonesty in your life? Areas where the words out of your mouth are technically true, but the way you say it, or the parts you leave out, or something about your communication is designed to communicate something other than what's actually true. Ask the Lord to search your heart and enable you to see any subtle dishonesties in your life. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and reveal dishonesty in whatever subtle form it might exist. Who may dwell in your sanctuary, Lord? Who may live on your holy hill? He whose walk is blameless and who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from his heart and does his neighbor no wrong and who keeps his oath even when it hurts. I want to be a person like that, Father, that I might dwell in your presence. Forgive me for times when I've wronged other people by misleading them. Show me dangerous motives in my heart that might push me toward dishonesty like love of money or desire for human approval, fear of man or fear of conflict. 
Show me the changes I need to make to have full integrity. Teach me to love the spirit of your word, not just the words, but the purpose behind them. Teach me to love your will. May I never use the words of the Bible to sidestep what you really desire, but let my desires be one with yours, because your will is good. Your desires are perfect and beautiful. If I always did what's pleasing to you, that would be the best existence I could possibly have. Draw my heart closer and closer to your will. And I pray the same thing for my family and friends. Take a moment to talk to God about the people close to you and ask for the same request for them, that their hearts would be drawn close to God's will. Thank you for listening. If you found today's episode edifying, why not share it with a friend? This season of the Food for Your Soul podcast features excerpts from our sermon series on the book of James. 50 expository sermons covering every verse. You can find those and hundreds of other sermons for free download on drichardferguson.com. And if you like listening on your phone, get our free mobile app. Install the Church One app from the Play Store and select Food for Your Soul. Until next time, rejoice in the Lord always and set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God.